Um, oh yeah. Oh, we had another minute or so. Someone else has just jumped in. Okay. Um, we'll kick off and if anybody else joins us, that's great. Otherwise, uh, there's a recording of this. Um, you know what? I'll just pin myself while I'm talking and be narcissistic for the video and then de-pin myself for the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, so they live. Um, absolute classic piece of uh, emancipatory cinema uh, made in 1988. Uh I don't know when the first time I saw it was. It was kind of well after it was made because I don't think it made that much of a splash at the time. And then people have returned to it and now it's kind of got a place as a kind of cult classic. I have to say this magazine um, that I got off a friend of mine, Micah Purnell, who's a designer. Um, I think he might've done some work with it. I don't, I think it's quite hard to get now. It's, it's designed the first few pages to look exactly the same as the magazine in the movie that he looks at. Um, so this is all exactly the same, including, and this is the crazy bit, this page, which is the, the people he made the magazine, they went and they took, took screenshots and they kind of recreated the, the page of the magazine. Um, and then it goes on into um, various essays by people. Shepard Ferry is in there. Um, Shizak is in there and, and many others. So, sorry, I'll mute. Who's that? Justin, look at that. You should know better. This is your group and you're messing things up. Um, so yeah, so obviously with this on my coffee table, I'm a big fan of the book. And I think that's what um, uh, Shepard Ferry, that was his whole Bay thing comes from They Live or at least was influenced by They Live. Um, so I will say a few words, uh, talk a little bit about it for 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll just open it up for discussion. Um, obviously, this is about ideology. And annoyingly, I watched it today. I watched a bit of it last night, a bit of it this morning, and I had to think about it. Uh, but then about half an hour before this meeting, I thought a lot more about it and realized it's there's a lot of subtlety. So um, let's. I'm going to try and break down a little bit of it and see where that goes. I mean, I want to basically talk about three regimes or three elements that are in the film. There's everyday reality that people are living, buying and selling, doing work, uh, drinking in bars, working on construction sites. That's just kind of reality. Then you have ideology. And ideology is all of the adverts, the magazines, the movies, the TV shows that are constantly bombarding us with a kind of super egoic injunction to enjoy. Uh, and then there is the message within and on the surface of the ideology, which we can call, I'm going to use Slavio Shizek here, he talks about that as surplus enjoyment. So we have reality, everybody's da daily lives. We have ideology, the messages of the magazines and the movies. And then we have the surplus enjoyment, which is the kind of unseen message that binds us to the ideology um, and that keeps us uh, kind of passively engaging in our roles in society. So that's, that's the way it works almost as you've got the 
the surplus surplus enjoyment kind of subliminal message that ties us to the ideology and the ideology which kind of roots us in our uh, position within society. The rich man at his castle, the poor man at his gate, God made them high and lowly and ordered their estate. Um, the subtracted verse from all things bright and beautiful, right? That's that's kind of what ideology is in a way. It kind of um, keeps everything in its place and says, this historical configuration is the way things should be, the way things are. And of course, if you don't obey the ideology, then there is militaristic and police force that can kind of like come in and arrest you. So there's always the the violence, but ideology in a sense is a step away from the violence. Um, It's a way of trying to control you through messaging. So in the movie, you have all of that going on. These aliens are among us. Uh, There is this ideology that they're presenting to keep everybody just consuming and passive uh, so that they can use the planet in order to extract minerals, resources, and then move on to other planets. And I thought it was interesting that in 2025, they will, they hope to have complete control, not only of America, but of the entire world. So uh, we're only two years away from that complete control. So we don't have long to go. I think they may be ahead of schedule by the thing why things are looking. Um, so a couple of thoughts on that then. One is Shizak talks about this, um, that interestingly, often the critique of ideology is the opposite of they live. It's kind of like we are wearing glasses and we need to take them off to see reality as it is. But what you have in the movie is you have in the movie kind of... Um, spontaneous ideology that we spontaneously live and operate and swim within the ideological message and you actually have to put on glasses to see it and that is a painful thing so they keep getting headaches um Shizak talks about this as uh, symbolically saying that when you rob yourself of the surplus enjoyment of ideology it's painful right um and why why that's called surplus enjoyment is because, in a way, to use two examples from Shizak, the first is if you have society that says, a government that says to young men, join the army, fight for your country, right? That's the kind of message. But what makes that message appealing potentially to a lot of young people is uh, you can have an enemy, you can kill You can uh, take all of this kind of like um, anxiety of modern life and have a very concrete group of people like the Taliban or whatever. They're the problem. They're the enemy. You can go out and kill with impunity. Like murder is wrong, but not not when it's legally endorsed, right, by the government. And so you can't say that, right? You can't say that part of the message. Uh, But that is what makes it appealing, to many people, right? Uh, the same thing with um, seeing a poor person, a poor African child starving with a message saying, you know, donate money. Uh, you know, the underlying message is like, give money and get rid of your guilt, right? You don't have to think about the economic and political, geopolitical circumstances that create these scenarios, right? Give money and you can you know, you can get on with your day. But again, you can't kind of say that. You can't directly see that message. That is in- invisible. So 
that's the surplus enjoyment is that that there's something that connects us to the ideology, something we're getting out of it. Like we selfishly get something out of ideology, even if it's destructive to us. Um, and the glasses in They Live help you see this messaging, uh, this reality, this surplus enjoyment. Um, this is why we come to the most famous scene in the movie, which is the prolonged fight scene, right? So this is this, in the middle of the movie, there's this prolonged six minute or whatever fight scene between Nada, which means nothing, Nada, the nothing, the man who is no one, and his friend, Frank. And um, what's interesting about this, and she's like, talks about this in the Pervert's Guide uh, documentary, uh, is one way of reading this bizarre, very strange scene, is that it captures in a way the fact that Frank doesn't, in some unconscious way, doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to put the glasses on. There's there's some dimension where Frank is is thinking he wants to show me something, some reality that if I see, I can never go back from. I do not want to see this, right? That the idea of finding freedom far from being easy, right? So again, in contemporary society, we talk about maybe finding freedom as this liberating thing. Freedom is terrifying. It's the opposite of liberation in a way. It's um, it's going to cost you so much. It's going to rob you of your surplus enjoyment. It's going to get you in trouble. So there's a sense in which we want to resist it. So these two friends and they're smiling and they're fighting and he's resisting putting the glasses on and it kind of goes on way too long um, is a great symbolic cinematic example of this desire for us not to know the, the, the messaging. And it's not a message that you do not see. It's a message that you see, but you do not see that you see it. Right. So it's not like whenever the adverts aren't, there's what's seen and what's unseen. What is what you've got is what's seen. And then you've got something that you see, but you don't register consciously. And uh, this brings us to that idea of like um, maybe not picking up the phone whenever you're the hospital's ringing. The doc, you went to the doctors because of something and you're not picking up the phone. You're not picking up the phone because you, you don't know what the doctor's going to say, but there's some part of you that is resistant because you have a pretty good idea what they might see, or you don't look at your bank account. I had this recently. I moved back and I put some money into my UK bank account, but I didn't put enough in. And about three months in to being home, there was a part of me going, did I pay my rent this month? I don't think I had enough money in my bank account. And I could feel within myself the desire not to look. I mean, I probably left it for 24 hours because I kind of knew, but I didn't want to know that I knew. Right. That's that's the kind of frank position. As I like, we we kind there's something that we're dimly aware of, but we don't want to see it. It's painful. And it's precisely painful because of what it's going to cost. And it's going to rob us of something, even if which of course is the ultimate message of the movie. Ultimately, it, it's, a, it's an emancipatory movie and it, ultimately this freedom, this emancipation is good. In the short term, it, it robs us of the pleasure we get from the ideology. I mean, the easiest way to think of that is of course like anti-Semitism because that's kind of ground zero of kind of uh, scapegoating is there's a certain enjoyment in having a group uh, that you can just blame, 
that they are the problem. There's seeing through that uh, robs you of the kind of the enjoyment that having a scapegoat, whatever group it is, having a scapegoat gives a certain amount of enjoyment that you cannot you do not directly want to realize that that's what you're getting out of it. You're getting some enjoyment. You want to just pretend that it's uh, a, a truth, but not that you're getting something out of out of it. So um, that, I think, is a good way of understanding that very prolonged fight scene, that desire not to be liberated. Um, and Oh, yeah, and I'll say one final thing. Uh, one of the issues that some people have brought up about the film is that, okay, it's emancipatory, um, but it does still set up an us and them. And that is the kind of the ultimate and reactionary politics is whenever you have a them. So you you basically have an enemy, which is the aliens. The aliens are there. They're projecting this message out. It's, it's this ideology out. Um, and they're doing it in order to maintain their position of power. And uh, Carter has talked about, obviously, the aliens are the wealthy, the powerful. And also, of course, the um, they're not the government so much as they're corporations. Like, it's corporate. <laughs> it's financial, and which obviously, you know, relates a lot to, to contemporary politics, where you go, where is the power? Is the power within government or is it within corporations? Um, but yes, so there there is... Obviously, in a movie, and movies do this, you have a concrete enemy that you can attack and destroy. Um, the more interesting message is one in which ideology is one in which we all create and participate in. And that it's we cannot really, there can be external enemies, but in a more fundamental way, it's internal to us all that the, the real enemy is within us. The only thing I would say to that is, without trying to read too much into they live, I, I do like the fact that the aliens are also fully immersed in the ideology, right? The aliens aren't presented as all being in power, all being at the top of the pile, right? Um, they're everyday people as well. I mean, the very last scene, I think, is brilliant, where that woman is having sex with the guy and then she looks down and it's an alien and he's like, oh, what's up, you know? Um, and because, uh, you know, what is being more immersed in the everyday world than sexuality and sex? So there is a sense in which you could, and I think I'm pushing it a little bit, but I do like that the, the decision was made to have the aliens very much kind of as caught up in the ideology as everybody else. Um so in a way, it definitely there is a concrete enemy, which you often need in movies and that you can fight against. Um, but but there is a certain extent in which you kind of get the feeling that we're all caught in, in ideology, even the people who are supposedly in control of propagating it. I think that's an interesting message as well, that those who are in power are often as entrapped by ideological systems as everybody else. Like we're all trapped by them. Um, so uh, yeah, that was that was my final thought. So in, in a nutshell, my main interest is you've got everyday reality, you've got ideology, you've got surplus enjoyment. The glasses help you see the surplus enjoyment that connects you and keeps you enslaved to the ideology. When you put the glasses on, you get that headache, you start to kind of get you you get that horrible thing where you see the enjoyment you're getting oh can i give one example of that 
um, I've done this before, of course, but when somebody realizes that they enjoy the fights that they have with their partner, right? That's a painful insight, right? And that's not every couple at all, but we all know and we may be that person and it's not bad, but it's like where someone, they, they're they always annoyed at their partner, always shouting or whatever. And then annoyingly a friend helps them say, see, but they're like, I think you enjoy it. And like, you know, suddenly you're like, shut up <laughs> you know I don't enjoy it I don't enjoy it and then you go oh crap is there something in this some surplus enjoyment that I'm getting that I'm not aware of so that's the surplus enjoyment that's the headaches of the glasses seeing the surplus enjoyment but that ultimately can then get you to question the everyday reality um, and the the idea that potentially we are all caught in ideology and we should avoid um uh, thinking that there is some external enemy that we can just take out and everything would be great in a certain way, even the supposed enemy, um, even those who are maybe exploiting um, are, in a sense, we're all caught up in the same ideology. Okay, so there's my initial thoughts. I will unpin myself and I would love to hear um, what you guys think. Does anybody want to kick us? Oh, another thing as well, if you want, stick up your hand. It's always good to see a few hands and then we can go one-to-one -one or just jump in. So, yeah. Oh, and Justin, very good background. <laughs> I try to, uh, yeah, put something up usually when I'm doing these. Oh, that's very good. I wish I'd done that. That's the, I've got that in my TV set. I have a TV you turn it off and it turns into a piece of art. And that's one of the things I've got on it. Oh. And it turns into kind of whatever screensaver type thing. And that's one of them. <laughs> well, it also hides my unmade bed sitting behind me too. So it's, uh, yeah, it does double duty. Yes. <laughs> Justin, do you want to, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know because as the yeah. guy usually facilitates this. Well, actually, I, I don't know that I'm going to necessarily share thoughts, maybe ask for a little bit of clarification because one thing that I do always um, endeavor to do with these groups is if you're somebody who is interested in reading theory and, you know, tries to read this stuff, give you at least like one term that next time you encounter it, you kind of have a gloss at least of it. So, I mean, you, you explain surplus enjoyment, but can we go a little bit deeper on just like actually talking about what that means and maybe, maybe even repeating what you said, because um, it's one of those things that I almost always feel like I've got like a little bit of a slippery grasp on when I do encounter it. And I never like quite retain exactly what he means by the surplus nature of it, especially. Yes. Yes. Well, and to keep it, we can go deeper into it, but to keep it as like, I like what you're saying is to clarify and simplicity. And sometimes these theories go wild. I mean, in, in this context, the surplus enjoyment kind of refers to well it refers here to a repressed a, a kind of disavowed enjoyment a type of pleasure that you get um well so surplus enjoyment in a nutshell i think is if you imagine a child kind of feeding at the mother's breast and they're feeding at the mother's breast they're getting milk and then as the child grows they start to suck their thumb sucking your thumb is interesting because sucking your thumb is a type of like using your lips to get nourishment at the breast, but there's no, there is no utilitarian value to it. The child is getting pleasure out of the 
what was the trash part of it, the kind of the excess, the kind of the unimportant bit. And so, but that becomes the source of enjoyment rather than the milk is the enjoyment, the sucking at the breast is kind of what is required. And then you start to enjoy the that, that act. Another example is whenever, uh, you know, there was supposedly some people in Japan, sounds like very Japanese thing, would go on holiday and get packed, get on a plane and fly to their destination and then fly home because they were getting direct enjoyment out of the packing and the going to the taxi to the airport and the flying. And uh, they kind of realized that the holiday is not, <laughs> you know, that whatever. So they're directly enjoying the um the the foreplay and not the sex there's something very perverse about that um and that might be why she's at calls his two documentaries of perverts guy there's a few reasons for that so surplus value is a little bit like that's how it functions and operates but it, it, what how i'm describing it within this movie then is a type of yes enjoyment that you get that's not utilitarian like fighting with your partner and getting enjoyment from that is um is kind of like uh yeah it's it's a surplus it's not the it's not a typical form of evolutionary enjoyment but uh justin you want to say anything more about that i think that's clear yeah, enough. But i i think what because the common sense way of thinking about i think this movie or what you would maybe think it's trying to do would be you know say you see an advertisement that it's trying to take something that actually is basic and utilitarian and make it enticing like you see an advertisement of, you know, like a sexually charged thing. And then with the glasses on, it just is something much more, you know, I don't remember what the actual message underlying it was, but reproduce or something like strict utilitarian, like reproduce um, sort of function in society. But you think what you're seeing is this thing that uh, is much more exciting. And, you know, that, that actually is your desire doing it, but actually you're just serving ideology. That's the common sense way of viewing it. I'm wondering it almost feels like what you're talking about is a little bit of a, a flip on that, but I'm not totally um, grasping in my own mind, even where I'm going at that. But you know what I mean? Like um, the, the ideological image that you're sort of brainwashed into seeing actually feels like it's more enjoyable than the actual image that you see when you put on the glasses. Does this make sense at all? What I'm, where I'm going with that? No, absolutely. And we, we should go back and forth on a, a bit. That's, you know, what the purpose of this is was great this um because you made me think that yeah that it's actually easier when you look at a society where the demand is to do your duty so when you think of a society where the demand is uh you know like fight for your country be a law-abiding citizen be nice to your mother whatever it is like the, the message is do your duty and then the surplus enjoyment is the enjoyment of doing your duty. As I said, with the military, there's actually a way in which you can express violence and torture and you can have a scapegoat. And there's all of this disavowed enjoyment that is that is behind the duty. It's a bit more complicated in contemporary society where the demand is to enjoy, which is what they live is about. So because in they live, the demand is enjoy, consume, go on holiday, have a great time, do what you want. Um, so you go, okay, so what's the surplus enjoyment when the demand is to enjoy? And um, that's, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that actually is really clarifying is that that's what can get confusing about this movie is you, 
because we're so used to not realizing that the demand is to enjoy that I think you watch this movie and you think, oh yeah, the the enjoy like that's the carrot, the the enjoyment's the carrot to get you to do the the consuming and the reproducing and everything. But really, um, it's almost like unconsciously you want to think that what you're doing is enjoying the the titillating aspect of the the post or whatever. But really, what it is is that's letting you convince yourself that you're doing something for yourself, your own desire. When really, you're enjoying just kind of being a drone in society. You're enjoying serving you're enjoying um, reproducing you're enjoying consuming and all of that for its own like for its own sake you're just enjoying consuming and taking part in the machine i guess am i am i there or am i kind of missing what your point is yeah i'm going to jump off the back of that and then ruben jump in so sorry Uh, yeah like i think a good example for me is um i i i have a lot of hippie friends so this is not anti-hippie or whatever like but you know you often think that the very in the la kind of hippie community where there's lots of free love and an acceptance and inclusion and it's and that's the surface and yet you find often within those communities extreme forms of an outsider of enemies of like you know, and, and intolerance and um, kind of strict regimes. And so in the demand, in the, in the demand of, in the whole thing of tolerance and inclusion and love everybody, uh, the, what actually holds it together is there is usually an undefined um, enemy uh, that is not spoken of and an enjoyment of, the, and sometimes the enemy is even just the unenlightened one, you know, who's like, you know, doesn't know how great the heavy commune is. So I'm trying to kind of get to that is that that often within the demand to enjoy this, the what's underneath that or what uh, the the super egoic injunction the is um, a community with very strict rules and very strict notions of who's in and who's out, but all all is, all of that is disavowed. I like I have a friend who who was setting up a festival, and he was setting up a festival where he says everyone's invited, and you know no exclusion. He used to be a, this Christian guy; he's a bit more new age now, and he's creating this festival. And of course, I said to him, "Come on, man! Like, how how can it be inclusive of everybody?" And then I mentioned a few groups that I said, "What if they came along?" Well, you know, would they really be welcome? And it's like, oh, no, but he never even thought about it. You know, it you can say everyone's welcome, but then you go, well, well is you no, know, like, is it, is it a pro-choice group welcome, right? And I'm not saying that everyone should be welcome. I'm saying in his logic, where everyone's welcome, I go like, well, I can definitely start mentioning groups that, that aren't. So, yeah. But uh, Ruben, do you want to jump in? Yeah, Um. so... I wanted to say something about uh, what Justin was saying, um, but I kind of forgot what it was. So I'm I'm just going to say in general about the movie, things that I noticed. First of all, nada is nothing in Spanish as well. So every time that they said it, it was very clear <laughs> to me. And I figured, huh, like not having this as the first language is a different experience insofar as to me it was like, oh, you're nothing. You're that the point is that you're embodying nothing. Yeah. Um, but some of the things that I thought were interesting were like he was fully like at the beginning of the movie, he mentions how he he plays by the rules. He's, you know, down his lock right now, but, you know, he's just going to keep going and then he's going to be uh, rich and famous or whatever or or just successful. But he's I think it's interesting that the rebel figure is someone who's 
fully bought into the system um who's like believing that literally he should just do his time you know nose to the grindstone and it will be okay uh i did write down in the middle of the fight scenes that i wrote how long can a fight scene go for because it, it was fascinating how long that was but, you know, and then I think there's something to be said about the fact that they end up all beat up and they make a point about it and then they walk all bloody to the place where they're staying and then the next morning they have no wounds or anything whatsoever. I don't know. It feels like there's something there. And the guy that uh, was most interesting to me was, I, I called it the cynic, the person, the human that had joined uh, up with the aliens and essentially said, well, everyone's doing it uh, in a very conscious. Uh, yeah, like this is what's happening, but why not get your own while you're at it? And I don't know, I I I have been moderately successful in business and I have felt that very clearly that when I was making the, the time in my life where I was making the most money, there's definitely uh, um an impulse to just fully buy into it. Because I, I think about these things and I've always thought about these things, but then if I paid my employees a little less, I would have a lot more money and the call is there, right? The call is always there to, hmm, what if you compromise this way? What what does it matter even to do this um, kind of thing? So yeah, that's that's mostly what I got from it. I think. Could you oh, remind and me... I had a- I was going to say, just remind me, I couldn't remember because that guy you're talking about, he says, I always liked you. And I couldn't remember where he came me in. Neither. Oh, I, he was, yeah, me neither. I had to look it up. And apparently he shows up for like a second in the camp. Yeah, in Justiceville, he's one of the two guys watching the TV when the, when the pirated signal keeps on coming on and he keeps on like complaining about them trying to get the message out there. Oh, I so it was the guy the church to be in rich. Okay, anyway, yeah. Right. yeah. Sorry, yeah. keep going, Ruben. Oh, I was just uh, that's that clarified that for me. Thanks. <laughs> no, I had to look it up as well. I was like, like, should I know this person? But I didn't. Um, and since I watched it in two halves, I was like, oh, maybe I just. But in any mm-hmm. case, I did have a question about when you were talking with Justin. I remembered. Uh, so should we understand the word surplus in surplus enjoyment not as extra? As in, we have more than enough, but more so as leftover, um, more so as you know something that was at some point connected to a function like a child breastfeeding, but then eventually loses that connection. Well, interesting. The way Lacan used it is he used it in the same way. He kind of takes it from Marx and Marx's idea of surplus value. So you know, Marx famously says that the worker they they create value, but they create the surplus value. So you pay them for, you know, $50 a day, they make $70 worth of value. So that $20 is the surplus value. So when Lacan uses the term surplus enjoyment, it's like, it's an enjoyment that is created through um, a cer- certain activities. So even with the, the child sucking at the mother's breast, it's like a surplus enjoyment, the, the sucking of the thumb, it's kind of created out of nothing it's almost created that doesn't exist doesn't exist for you know in a way it doesn't exist in the animal kingdom at least most of the animal kingdom there's so surplus enjoyment is a specifically kind of human thing or you know 
or you know there might be some animals you have it but it's a particular type of enjoyment that is that is connected to desire and language does that make when sense it does when i was in college my therapy uh my couples therapy teacher mentioned that like an offhanded comment but i found it fascinating that voyeurism is one of the few fetishes that are wholly uh societally born like maybe some other fetishes could have happened without us living in a society but the fact that there is the rule of philosophy those, oh, that's, that's why I said there's okay there's the rules to wear clothes so it makes you okay talk to you soon let me back Oh, sorry, that's somebody chatting. Uh, I think that might be Leah on mute. Sorry, keep going, Ruben. Oh, no. Um, okay, could you actually repeat that comment? Because that's interesting. You're saying like voyeurism is one of the few fetishes that is societally constructed. Born. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's in, interesting. In, insofar as if we didn't have the, if we weren't compelled by, the, by societal rules to be clothed, then what would be interesting about people being naked or trying to watch that it is only because we are we've agreed that it's okay and we would rather wear, wear clothes and if we hadn't done that if you we were in a different type of society then voyeurism wouldn't be a thing because it would just always be there the 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 your the demand to see that would always be satisfied perhaps or it would not be a demand because it would always be there i don't know Okay, that's interesting. I have to think about that. That's yeah, very interesting. <laughs> with this, with the surplus enjoyment. Sorry, and we can move right to Chris after this. You get your hand up, but I'm just kind of following up on Ruben's comment. Um, Pete, would the surplus enjoyment be an example like um, from Joan Kopchak's book when she writes the essay about uh, the guy who was upset, who who got obsessed with uh, the erotic appeal of like, um, I think some kind of Middle Eastern clothes or something like flowing clothes that kept you fully covered and he became like obsessed with that and like specifically for the erotic appeal of it would that almost be like kind of what Ruben was saying that the enjoyment you would think the enjoyment of whatever nudity or something is what Ruben is saying is like we're used to seeing people clothed and the clothes come off and it's like this little you know this exception to the rule but you could get almost this surplus enjoyment this extra thing from the actual um the, the barrier to that itself or am i just derailing this no absolutely absolutely i mean this is what kind of lingerie is and and you know lots of various kind of like sexual kind of toys and things are are about we interestingly veiling in a way that generates this you know surplus desire there's not simply a desire for mating um so it's funny because so surplus enjoyment is it's a human thing but it can within kind of perverse structures it can become quite extreme to the point that you desire only the the barrier you know um uh but yeah i think it's a good example the great example is it's that surplus enjoyment yeah and that's and what have happens don't have because they don't they don't they don't do candles and they don't do lingerie and they don't they don't have to have all of these structures to enable mating so you know like so yeah they don't seem to have exhibit surplus enjoyment for sure okay cool kev you also had your hand up before chris but then it went down i don't know if you just that's okay uh, i was i was just thinking in terms of the advert as well and um i think normally people would see it as a commentary on like subliminal messaging um and i think the subliminal messaging might be 
more in terms of like a power hierarchy like they have the power in order to control us by controlling our um, unconscious thought and i think the spin you're saying is almost like moving from the code of Vilicon, where it's more it's you have to view it in terms of desire because like the person seeing that caribbean ad with the the woman on it and they're most of the people seeing it are probably somebody that's already married and reproduced and then they see that and they they don't need to go to the caribbean they're just getting the enjoyment of already having followed that injunction uh of the ad or i think the first ad he sees is the computer ad and then it says that one says obey um i didn't get a good glimpse of what that ad is but like we don't you're seeing the ad you don't probably don't need whatever work done to your computer at the time but you then the subliminal message there is to obey and you're getting the enjoyment of already having having obeyed the commands that they're giving you yeah the, they yes <laughs> yeah and it is i mean the service enjoyment is the most difficult bit because i don't think that's clear in in the movie i think what you're saying there kind of is drawing out how you can see that but it's probably the least clear bit of it um you know maybe it's but but yeah so yeah because john carpenter says he's really commenting on like the reagan thatcher sort of era and the start of neoliberalism or neoconservatism um that that's his the start of globalism essentially and that's his interest in commenting on that yeah um it is interesting because like yeah you know I couldn't remember like this is what Neil um uh oh the commenter commentator and media stuff I forget it'll come back to me um but uh this idea that you see it in also Herbert Macusa who the idea that um that in this society of enjoyment and where you can be anything and be an entrepreneur of yourself, actually what's really enjoyable or weirdly strange about us all is we're all so passive and conservative and just sit and watch TV. And so I guess that there's a certain, there's some sort of enjoyment we get in this society that is in just consuming, sleeping, not participating, which we call today fatigue, burnout. I wonder if they did, they, they live today the signs would say, you know, like burnout fatigue or like there's because in a way um, that's that's I don't know. Yeah, there's something there. Um, but sorry, Chris, jump in. I thought another scene that kind of compared to the fight scene um, was when Holly so casually cracked not over the head with a bottle through through the plate glass window um but she stayed so stone cold when she did it um and it was so ridiculous how far he fell um that that might be another thing of like the the extremes people will go to to hang on to these ide ideologies when confronted with them um to kind of hold on to the the comfort of them because i was just kind of everything that that holly did was so stone cold and i kind of noted that and it made me chuckle yes she's a very good character i've never i don't know if she's was in very much else i didn't recognize her from anything um uh, 
And oh yeah, and in, in light of this, yes, I think what I'm trying to say, I feel like I'm trying to say something that I haven't got to it. And Kev, I think you're touching on it there and you're touching on it, Chris, is um is that in a lot of today radical movements, the enjoyment is in their lack of radicality. And so to say something slightly controversial, for example, is a lot of like some political movements are like about representation, which is great, but it's not about redistribution. In other words, it's like the economic system doesn't need to change. We just want different representatives of different communities. You know, like there's a famous line in The Simpsons where Lisa Simpson says, I think it's in The Simpsons, but she says like, we need more female billionaires, right? So like, as if that's the problem, right? <laughs> the problem is there's not enough female billionaires. Um, so in, in the kind of emancipatory movement, there's actually weirdly uh, a, a conservatism that's not really talked about that maybe we get our enjoyment from. Maybe that's what's going on and they live is that that there's this, we enjoy conservatism in the midst of all of the be everything you can be and achieve and achieve. There's an inherent conservatism that we we libidinally attach ourselves to. That's I think what I was trying to say, sorry. <laughs> um, well, in, if you, he comes to this realization like that, they live among us. Uh, like, what is the response? that? Because his response was immediately to go and shoot up everybody. Like, he shot out, he killed like nine people in the bank or nine aliens in the bank. Um, and then you have that contrasted with the guy who produced the glasses um, saying, like, we need to lay low and they're starting to catch on to us. Um, and so you have like those two responses and then you have the, the guy that the Megan sort of character that, um, what's her name? Megan Boster. What was her name? The, uh, the girl with the steely eyes. Uh, but you have their response where they join them, but like, what is the, what's, what's the way to do it? What should he have done? Yeah. Well, here, Kristen, do you want to jump in? I might come back to that because I because mean, I, I want to get to the end at some point. Because what did he do at the end? He dies. He destroys a signal. I wonder if anybody has any thoughts on that. But Kristen, jump in. Yeah, I well, I agree with what you were last saying, Pete, about the surplus enjoyment. Because I think in the movie, the film makes that out to be the fantasy of these aliens who are like from a class perspective, they are the the like PMC, the professional managerial class, they're like in America, there's a shit ton of people who still aspire to be upper middle class, even though to be upper middle class in America, you can barely afford health care. You can like if you get sick, that's it. You're done. You yeah. can be rich and just get sick and your life is over. Like it's really bad. But the fact that there are still so, so many people that are like caught up in that fantasy and now when I like talk to my friends and people who like are trying to give that up, it's extremely painful. Like that headache phenomenon experience is real because they'll complain about, I have to do this and I have to pay for this and I have to go to this thing. And they list all these things that I'm just like, dude, do you, do you have to do any of that? Or is this whole system some bullshit that you could literally walk away from and start over and be fine? Cause like your job is not keeping you secure. Your beliefs are not inspiring you like everyone's depressed and over it. So there's a lot of people at that breaking point where like they want to do something different, like they're ready to be radicalized, 
And there's only a few people who can afford literally like financially or emotionally or psychologically to try and help make those movements happen because they're painful. And because, you know, sometimes people get a little taste of radicalism and they literally want to go like blow up the place. And it's like, well, that's a little dangerous. Like, let's be careful how we move forward there. Um, So those questions are super important. Like, okay, so the system is broken. We want to burn it down. What's like a safe, effective, healthy way to burn that down without hurting ourselves and other people? Like, that's the question. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I wonder if, I mean, more and more people, obviously people are trying to do that in different ways. Like um, like some people kind of live together, like trying to buy a big home with some friends and, and bring up their kids in a communal, more communal way as a way to save money. Some people, like, I think that's what minimalism, like the minimalists, actually, the podcast, those guys, I think part of their success is that they do offer good advice sometimes about how to, you know, minimize in a way of getting rid of things that just cost money, et cetera, et cetera. I think their, their ideas are good. I think I haven't followed them so much recently, but when I first was introduced to them, my initial thought was that like the things they're saying do not resonate with poor working class people because they're starting with an assumption of like, okay, so you have some shit you need to let go of. And there's still a lot of people who are like, nah, dude, like me and my family moved here one generation ago and we have like bunk to work on. So it's hard to find messaging that works for both like people in poverty and people who are like kind of sort of upper middle class, but still struggling. Like it's a big range to speak to. And, and minimalism is often a it's an aesthetic of the rich often um sure. uh, so like i i'm a natural minimalist in terms of my style but that doesn't mean that you know if you give me all the money in the world i won't have the nicest thing like i like, totally. like yeah. one thing but it's like so there's a very there's a yes. there's, i think actually in terms of aesthetics like a kanye west the way he, his mansion has nothing in it at least at one stage when he was married to who was he married to Beyonce? No, no, no. No, no, no. The the girl with the ass and tits. What's her face? Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah, that one. I saw saw their mansion, and maybe you never can trust anything you see online, but I think they went for extreme minimalism. I mean, it was quite impressively. In like a billion dollar home, I'm sure. In a billion dollar home, exactly. It was like. Yeah. (laughs) Very rich aesthetic. (laughs) Uh, Alison, you, by the way, you mentioned online about the homoerotic dimension of the fight scene which I thought was was funny um did you have any thoughts on that there's a lot of homoeroticism in in men fighting to be honest in in movies so (laughs) absolutely and um I don't know like I'm I'm fearful that this is going to be a little bit of a dog whistle but um I think the film kind of struck like a very appropriately justified pessimism but like you were talking about well what if they live was in current times and I what it made me think of is this whole concept of hetero pessimism and um there's just like a real resistance to having a nuclear family and that monogamous relationships should be like as a configuration they should be questionable um and it's like obviously a trend towards like more and more sexual liberation um but like simply put the way I think about it monogamy is just like a buddy system you know Mm -hmm. like you're just I I have your back it's a survival method we just live a really long time now and yes there's lots of issues so how do we like broker that coming together and then separating you know when the time is right um, when it no longer makes sense to be together 
And I, I just think, I don't know, there's quite a lot of overly pessimistic about romantic relationships. And so that's an observation that I think comes through, you know, definitely in the film. There's a lot of um, critical messages about marriage and that it's purely for procreation. And there's more going on there. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. I very much agree with that, actually. And um, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I didn't, because I, I think what you're saying is kind of very perceptive and i i agree that um certain you know monogamy i mean in circles i've been especially with saying i lived in america less so now but where there's a lot of different relationship configurations and it's great but there's a kind of um uh a missing of potentially the there's emancipatory potential of, of marriage as well so i do see whenever there was that message uh which is in this book what does it marry and reproduce um i didn't pick it up in the same way as you did but I see what you're saying. Um, uh, yeah, I think, it I, think it's the, oh, I was just going to say, I think it's the when you get to the point where you're afraid of how much freedom you could have if you say no to a system or a configuration that's familiar, that fear can inspire you to ask better questions and to be more liberated, at least to not be self-exploitative in your relationships. Mm -hmm. um, because there are lots of marriages that are beautiful and wonderful and I'll still talk shit about marriage in front of them and they're fine because like they've asked themselves those hard questions and like I can support their marriage and they can support me being like your marriage is stupid and I hate you for getting married also you guys are cute and you're a wonderful couple and I love you yeah but there's so there's like definitely room for you to be self-exploitative in any configuration and the hardest thing to do is to continue to reflect on like am I doing this out of fear is this good mm -hmm. for me? Is it good for you? Is it good for our community? And those are all big, hard questions to ask. But I think if you can ask them on a regular basis, you might be a, like a step ahead of the average person and having like a happy relationship is you just have to keep asking yourself, like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Is this good for mm -hmm. us? Is this good for you? Is this good for everybody? Okay, great. And then you make your decisions based on that. You can't just default to like, oh, one day I said I loved you. So that means we're all happy now. That's not how anything works. Like that's not how any relationships are going to be happy. So you have to keep doing like the work in them. Mm. Uh, Justin Farron. Oh, and also I would love to, we should have more discussions about relational stuff. I'd like to do that as well. So I'll put a pin in that. Justin, jump in. Oh, you're, you're muted. All right. Yeah. Whether this is getting a little far afield or not, I guess we're talking about a movie from 40 years ago that, as we said, was kind of trying to critique its own time. And so I think it is an interesting question to say, like, what could this movie look like now? And I, 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 I'm not sure if somebody actually commented on this, but I think it is really interesting to think of, you know, anything now that we see that, like in this movie, the advertisements seem to tell you you're getting out of the the mindless like just serving the machine but you're not actually doing that you're actually just that's your conscious way of still of convincing yourself that you're out but you're really just still in um i i feel like it would be an interesting idea to explore what you know certain uh maybe radical events could be almost seen this way as like you think you're you think you're doing this thing that's so contrary to the system or so countercultural but really as you said pete it doesn't really touch anything at the actual system. It's it's purely symbolic, or in some cases, even 
it's purposely choosing something that we know will never actually achieve anything. So it's almost like our way of you do this thing for 45 minutes on a Saturday, you go to this protest and then you can just go about your life. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm a radical because I went to this radical protest with seven other people. And I'm thinking of this past weekend, there was an air show in the city I live in um, where there's a bunch of military planes that fly over or whatever. And there was, I just got bombarded by some, you know, lefty friends of mine um, or lefty acquaintances of mine to come to these protests to protest the military and do this. And I, like I saw all these, they all like changed their Facebook profile photos afterwards to like them protesting here. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the military either, but I feel like in a lot of ways it becomes disingenuous and almost like if you could put on the glasses and see this event where it says like, it's all this like super radical slogans and everything. And then you put on the glasses and you see like, it would say maybe keep the system in place or let's, you know, let, let's not actually, let's not choose anything that would actually challenge the status quo. Let's do something that's like, so inachievable that it leaves everything in, in place. I feel like that would be in a lot of ways now something that would be inflammatory in ways because people really, really, really want to believe that that they are getting outside the system or they are really trying to protest it or foment some kind of revolution that I think in, in a lot of ways you just got to look at and realize there's that's just one more way of um, sort of simulating a, a way out that you're not really, really there. Yes, no, absolutely. And just an aside on that, I think it's a very interesting comment. Is interesting, like often, you know, without sounding, but you often military um, are the ones who don't want to go to war. One of the best comedies that have, comes out of the UK is in the thick of it. I don't know if anyone's watched that. It's actually uh, your series of Veep, if you're American, is based on it. I've never seen Veep, but in the thick of it's the original. And it's a, uh, it's a very, very good, but there's there's some standalone films in it, and one of them is about the Iraq war. And uh, it really touches on how it was the politicians who were all wanting to go to war, and it was the military leaders who were all going, you don't want to do this. You know what I mean? So it just it's often a very, very complicated these things. But yeah, no, that's a very interesting way. And here's you're making me think, like, he, is this right? The message of the movie almost is <laughs> that. We have these boring uh, lives of doing what we're told, consuming, sleeping, watching TV. We've got all of this ideology that tells us that we can change the world and we can have what we want and we can be wonderful, right? And then the subliminal message is you really enjoy sleeping and not doing anything and doing your duty. And so weirdly that we actually enjoy the reality that we're in and the ideology of change is what enables us to, in a disavowed way, enjoy the reality that we're in. And to, to use the example again of a couple fighting, a weird thing is the couple are fighting. So that's the shit reality. They're fighting all the time. The ideology is that they could have a wonderful relationship which hides the surplus enjoyment that they enjoy fighting. There's something. <laughs> I, I think it's it's just interesting to think that not only could you do, you know, the Zizekian idea, which obviously now goes back a long ways of like the, the imperative to enjoy. You almost could now, I think, talk about in the last few years, what I think is starting to even be built on top of that is like the imperative to 
stage a revolution almost like i think you're you're almost being commanded by um the the people at the top to participate in revolutionary acts and that's that's almost like it's all sort of i think horrifying realization is like while we're while we're marching around the city and while we're you know burning down the spare corporate store that's going to be insured anyway and while we're doing this it's really in some ways i think fully endorsed by um the powers that we think we are actually um you know fighting against and that's actually a pretty horrifying i think revolution when you are fully invested in that when you do when you do view yourself as a radical and then i think recognizing like maybe maybe this is just a way of channelizing channeling discontent into a largely symbolic thing or a thing that's mostly symbolic and scares some people but doesn't really scare the people that you think you're actually going against um, yeah well i you know that's perfectly said i grew up in the troubles in northern ireland and that was that's pitch perfect what happened we were destroying our working class protestant and catholic communities blowing up people deaths and it wasn't doing anything because it was a type of explosion of anger and violence or whatever that didn't touch on the real issue and it took 30 years before people began to uh, see things in such a way that they could begin to ask real political questions and make real change so yeah I mean this brings us to I mean she's X point and the psychoanalytic point and the point of the movie then is is the radical move revealing our secret perverse enjoyments of the way things are is that the true move the true political movement um is that there's something profoundly liberating and emancipatory simply about confronting how we enjoy our own oppressions our own the the contemporary system um in the same way that an analysis confronting the person with their enjoyment Again, coming back to the couple, just I'll use that as the metaphor throughout. But when you suddenly see your enjoyment, it changes the relationship. You can no longer enjoy your enjoyment in the same way. It kind of has to shift. The, the, the confrontation with your own disavowed enjoyment is a, a part of the movement of change. And so we can build a political movement around the same kind of thing. And is that what they live is about? But re- Justin, do you want to say anything in response? Yeah, I'll, I'll close that. I'll close my little diversion there. But that, yeah, I think um, that's an interesting thing. Is and I'm gonna, I'm strict. I'm specifically trying to target uh, things that could be white and male because I don't want to try to go after other sort of revolutionary things and critique them. It's not my role to do that. But um, yeah, I think if you could show maybe some of my lefty friends, like if you could confront them with the enjoyment they might have from being in in this position of like a working class exploited and be like you're actually getting this dark enjoyment out of obsessing over your your um your position within the system here and if you could actually overturn that you would feel a, a real loss at not being able to be the exploited worker anymore i think that would be a really um horrifying thing to confront people with Anyway, I have a comment on that, too, if Ruben, unless you have something on that or prior. I I think that's why the final scene is so powerful, especially to me, because I've like recently broke up with a guy I was with for a long time, have a lot of friends who've gone through divorces recently. And I know that 
divorce lawyers are doing very well in America these days because there are so many women now who like colleges and universities have been overrun with women for decades now. So women are now more educated, more experienced, doing more work, making more money. And all of a sudden they're like waking up and looking at the guy in bed next to them and going like, who's this poor loser? Like, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And so now women are in a position where they're like, oh, I have a little bit more power than I did before. And now you have to decide what you're going to do with it. And are you going to settle for something that like is a lovely fantasy and would be easier and would be nicer? Or do you want to like keep figuring out where you need to divest from systems that are actually not benefiting you or anyone and like do harder work? Um, and and that happens like one-on-one in relationship settings. And that happens when you're like, I'm trying to figure out if I want to like start a co-op with my friends in the next few years. I'm, like there's a lot of hard questions you have to ask of a lot of people before you know, like, do I want to buy property with you? Do I want to live next door to you? Like, what the fuck do you look like on a bad day after work? Like, there's a lot of very real hands on the ground kind of stuff you have to figure out. Um, but I think it starts a lot of times with someone getting a little bit lucky or getting a little bit of power or a little bit of money. And then it's like what you do in that moment. How open are you to the people below you? And how how much can you like open your eyes to really see the bullshit of the stuff above you that's kind of like enchanting you? Um, so that you know what to say yes and what to say no to. Okay, well, here, good luck on the that cooperative idea. I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. And I think it can work really well. But as you say, there's lots of difficult questions to ask to, to make sure, you know, you go in right. But when it's done right, there's lots of liberating potential there. Yeah. Ruben, jump in. Well, to continue the conversation, I think it's interesting how the guy who was apparently at the beginning watching the TV and then eventually ends up in the party. Like, I don't know if anyone felt it, but when he was drinking the drink, it felt like greedy and like it made me uncomfortable how he was having that drink. Like, I drink normally. Um, but maybe I, I thought that that's interesting because he got a little bit of power to comment on what Kristen said. And what he did was, you know, he fattened himself off. And it's interesting because we would like to say that we wouldn't do that. But then you're presented with a little bit of power. And then what do we do? And I think that's interesting. If you kind of maybe it's, it's twisting the movie around a little, but it's fascinating to me that they start with the glasses and they start to identify who the bad people are. And then they eventually get them in as um, contacts. And, and then everyone that they see they immediately know shoot them and they can shoot them so casually i know it's the 80s and they grabbed guns differently or whatever but there's something about that right the guy ends up getting power and what he does is okay yes he dismantles the system if you want to say it that way but he also becomes like a mass murderer um to do it and is there something to maybe people thinking that they that they've got an answer once they are like, okay, it wasn't, def- it definitely wasn't that. It wasn't the society we were living on. Those are aliens. So it's actually this, just exterminate everyone uh, or something like that. Like that's a level of certainty. I don't, I know, again, it's a movie, but I don't think I would have that. I don't know that I, I would be legit, like, yeah. That's a legit critique. Like that's, that's what he chose to do with his money and his power. But like, what else could he have done? Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but I think we're presented. 
Keep going. Get, I, I mean, get, clarif- get clarification so you're keeping going. Go, go. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saying it in the sense of, well, the, the person, the Nada guy, eventually, if you see it, could also be the evil person here. He went into a place, terrified a bunch of people, killed a bunch of others, spared the ones that he thought were okay, and then killed the others. And I realized that I think there's been some, I, I read up on the movie later, and there's been some complaints about it being slightly misinterpreted and John Carpenter having to come out and say it's not about Nazis. It's about, <laughs> I think he uses the word yuppies and, and, and class system. And it makes sense to me, but but there's also it's fascinating the level of certainty that a person can experience once they think they've seen the, the truth yes um i don't know it's scary and uh i it's also scary because i know i suffer from that i like to think about things i like to to analyze stuff i like to blah 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 and, and eventually i kind of become convinced that i know a little better and that i know a little but and i don't I definitely do also. So it's complicated to 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 exist in a way that can hold both of these realities together and 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 try to live a life that is more or less okay or fulfilling or some other adjective. Mm-hmm. So like are you partly saying because I agree with you, I think is if, if what you're saying is that but that something about the end it does create like a you know a very concrete enemy a very concrete kind of us and them and yeah, yeah and that's precisely in a way yeah I mean Todd McGonagher call that he would say it was the right wing deviation of the left but but it's a it's a it just, it's a reactionary kind of yeah I think you're absolutely right in that you know um, I started reading this week uh, Capitalism and Desire uh, your 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 guys's recommendation and I, it struck me I've I've only read the first few pages but at the beginning it mentions how the enemy uh, of capitalism or the, the critique that people had a lot of at the beginning was repression. Like, oh, it's just repressing a lot of things. But now uh, Todd McGowan starts uh, what I, what little I've read. He says, like, well, it's not that it's repressive. It's not that the system is repressive. It's that it is it makes you dissatisfied in your satisfaction in a way that you're like, it, I think it says it embodies in a future commodity or something like that, the the idea that oh no, that one will satisfy you instead. So, I I guess some of what I'm saying is yes, there's a very clear enemy at the end of the movie, and and is that just the next commodity? Maybe if the movie were made this uh, in these years, there would be a role of a protest pro- protester, a uh, person who's fully human but also reaping all the benefits having a really nice iPhone and I say that while I type on an iPad and and things like this so I don't know maybe then in if the movie were made today there will be a, a representative of this kind of thought of yes I think I'm fighting the system but uh, in the end I'm kind of just extending it or fulfilling it I think that uh, makes the all of the arguments and the fights amongst people in the movie more meaningful because there are people who all kinds of different like motivations, but they all think they're right. And they all think they see reality. And everyone is like, no, 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 man. I'm the one who's seeing things clearly and you're crazy. And those are the kind of fights that like people who wanna do better have to keep having. Like you have to have some competency of like how to have a philosophical argument so that when your brother in Christ says something foolish, you can be like, no, 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 my friend. 
that's a hierarchical system you're trying to build. I'm going to need you to rethink that. We can't be doing that here. So you have to know how to fight with the people you're building with and trying to like love each other and having equal amounts of like truth telling and love giving is hard for people to do cleanly. I don't know if you can do it cleanly. I feel like it's always a mess every time, <laughs> but those are the kinds of like messy fights that are the, the building process, I think. Yeah. But a mess doesn't have to get bloody, right? You can That's true. have a messy you could You could not kill without... someone. That is a great goal. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to draw the boundary somewhere, were... don't kill. <laughs> yeah, when they were Wait. fighting, I, I wrote, how long can a fight go for? And I also wrote, like, they could just sit down and talk for like, 20 seconds yes. and they oh God, would yes. put on the glasses like come on people uh, but I don't know. if I if I were to rewrite this movie my redemptive arc would be trying to convince people who are uh paid police officers to find a new career path because like this this whole system is deeply fucked it's not helping anyone it's not putting away the bad people it's not supporting the good people like it's just too perverted in its existence right now. And so I, there's like a part of me that like deeply, deeply hates the cops always. But at the same time, I realize there's a lot of just like young men trying to make the world a better place. And that's why they sign up to be cops because they can get paid to help people. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful and good. That's and fun. how do you like foster that motivation without like encouraging people to arm themselves with deadly weapons and walking around like hurting people you know like it's Absolutely. i had a i'm sorry oh no um, go for it Sat and then jump in with kev okay i had a student who was a police officer and he was learning spanish i, I was teaching him spanish because he wanted to be a better cop he wanted to be able to he was a uh, police officer in in texas he wanted to be able to you know a lot of the people that he talks to our immigrants or our people who are of Mexican descent or things like this. And and he tried really hard. I even one time was visiting in Austin and I got stopped by a police officer and drawn a gun on me. And he said I was going really fast and I wasn't because I was wearing, I was going, like I had my cruise control on. I just had a car that happened to be Mexican. And I had to call my student and be like, hey, what the heck do I do here? Like, I was kind of afraid. I had never been, I'd never seen a gun <laughs> uh, because we don't have guns like that in Mexico. So it was a shocking experience to me. And and then eventually he tried really hard for like two or three years that I knew him and it, the system just wasn't allowing him to do this. Like he couldn't be able to like try to understand the people that he was uh, trying to help and also participate in the system. He told me one time, slightly tearful, and this is like a police officer, and he's buff and he's very Texan and, and, and all that. And he's slightly tearful telling me about how he let a family of immigrants go. Like he noticed that they were in the in the back part of a truck and he was like, oh, whatever, and then just let them go. But that is not sustainable. He will get fired. He will blah, 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 blah. And he's trying to be a good person, but he cannot be one and inhabit this places of power. I, I don't think. Okay, if you want to jump in, you might take us, you may have gone a different um, sense, but you can. In terms of the police force, I think the film has one line that comments on it when the Walter 
the leader of the resistance character when he says most of them are human um most of the police are human one thing that interests me is that in the beginning of the movie the resistance is running out of an abandoned church um and that walter character is the one that says like we should uh we should live in the world but not be a part of it sort of thing like we should we need to just go about our lives and not draw attention to ourselves um and all of this happening at the time when the um the like reagan is creating like the christian coalition as well i wonder like what carpenter's messaging is with that and i i would think that the resistance coming from the church might also be of interest to you that's i didn't think of that symbolism as soon as you said it's like oh that's really interesting symbolism to, to use that as a site of resistance that's very interesting and yeah, yeah and then the nada's character is kind of like outside the church and like he's not he's just going in there peeking around trying to see what's going on like he's and he's already distrustful of it because they're just playing he said that they're just playing choir music to make it sound like something else is going on mm. um i realize we're coming up to like an hour and 15 so any hands up throw your hand up now otherwise we'll give justin the last word um but if you want to say any last comments stick your virtual hand in the air and i'll go to you um and otherwise justin we'll go to you oh justin oh. nobody else oh nobody else. oh yes oh yeah anybody do you want like do you want to have the final so anybody else well no over to you hey this is the month where i'm not hosting so i don't have to have the last word here but yeah. i think I, I whether it's the last word or not, I think I just want to say like about what Ruben's saying, what Kristen's saying. I think that's really, really a good message to take, whether it was the the direct message of this movie or not. I think it's a, a maybe to recognize now that I think a lot of times we think we're putting on the glasses and seeing things for what they really are, but what we actually just end up putting them on is oh, those are the bad guys, and not actually putting them on and seeing the ideology or seeing the system in the way that I think we're the movies at least trying to depict is that you have these glasses and you see the actual system and you see your role and then you see what you're actually doing where I think now, and even, you know, in the, the, the most common word of using it, like the, like a woke movement and, you know, as if like, Oh, now I'm awake. And now I actually see things for as they are very often in, in some ways that word might apply to actual truly revolutionary um, movements, but also in some ways, maybe it's like, Oh, now I'm awake. And I see that, all these people that I used to think were good people are actually, those are the evil people. And you get stuck in a binary then where I think maybe what we need to think about is how do you see the systemic underpinning of all of this? Like Kristen, what you're saying and Ruben, what you're saying is that, you know, yeah, there's, it would be easy to say like, oh yeah, you put on the glasses and you see like all cops are bad guys. And you're like, well, no, actually a lot of them are just working class people or even like good people who are trying to do things. But there's, there's, a system underneath them that they can't that's not sustainable and eventually you'll lose your job if you try to do that and like there, there's no way to be a good person within these things but also you abolish the police and there's still a system that will replace them with something else that maybe is as bad or worse and so i think there's just um it, it's a very difficult thing to understand where you go from here but i think it's it's very important to try to 
try to critique systems and not individuals within those systems. Very good, very good. Okay, then I'll if I'm posting this one, I'll I get selfishly the last word. But I'm just going to bounce off what you're saying because yours are all helping. I love these because I get so much more out of the movie from having these conversations. And I'm just seeing that when you put on the glasses, almost like two things happen. To, and they're kind of going two different directions. So one is you see that you, who you think are the baddies, and that's kind of not good. The other is you're confronted with your own disavowed enjoyment. So, so that almost maybe is the, always the danger when you start to do ideology critique is you've got two options. When you start to kind of not just consume and get a, right your day and do that, whenever you start to kind of awaken yourself to certain things, you'll either start to find an enemy who, oh, if we kill them, that'll be great. Or we'll be able to start seeing our own disavowed surplus enjoyment and how that's part of society. And maybe in one way, that's the glasses kind of just show the the reactionary and the emancipatory possible directions that we can go. Um, if I was to try to redeem that that slightly kind of dimension that Ruben brings up of the, you know, there's the enemy and there's the aliens, it's going well. If there was one line in the movie where one alien said, hey, listen, I'm working class just like you, right? That 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 one, if there was one conversation like that, I think that would have been interesting, but I'm not a director. It could have just not been really cheesy. But if you had one where, where like some working class alien was going like, hey, I'm screwed as well. Like I'm, I'm doing a shit nine to five. It's the it's the rich aliens and the rich humans that are winning, not us. Um, but yeah, but those two elements, either do you create an enemy or do you get confronted with your own disavowed surplus enjoyment? And is that the emancipatory potential that they live kind of presents to us? All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That was great. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoy your Saturday or Saturday evening. It's nine o'clock here. So I'm just going to maybe watch. Oh, I just watched a new Nicolas Cage movie. We should maybe do that. The um, Sympathy for the Devil. Quite an interesting one. I enjoyed it. Um, so I might watch another movie. So have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.